0: we are in this series we're wrapping up this morning called Pray Different, as you can tell by the giant sign behind me. But we've been walking through this series for the last month, uh, kind of walking through this. And one thing I w- I've just been thinking about um, over the last month is the things that we pray for. And I think one of the most common things we pray for, which is important because it's biblical, is we, we, we always pray, God Lord, bless this food to our bodies, right? Jesus does it. It's biblical. But oftentimes we are about to take a bite into something that looks a lot like this. Someone on the team shared this with me. And, uh, this is usually what happens. We're about to like bite into this. We're like, Lord, in some divine way that is only powered by your spirit, please bless this to my body. And Lord, help me to make better uh, eating decisions so that I may continue in the faith. But, that, but as, we, as we pray, I was thinking that was one of the most common prayers. But if we are honest with each other, as we're walking through this series, prayer is hard. Is anybody else with me? Is anybody else like prayer? Oh, okay. No one. No one. It's just me. Prayer can be hard, right? Especially if you're a little ADHD like I am. Like, prayer can be hard, right? It can be hard to stay focused. It can be hard sometimes to be like, man, when I'm praying, like, is it kind of like one of those, like, donation, like, thermometers? Like, the more we pray, the closer we get to it coming true, so we just need to pray for it more. Is that how prayer works? Or how many times do I have to pray for something, and sometimes it feels like God doesn't hear me? Like, is anybody else feeling me? Right? I was having a conversation with a friend who was walking through uh, just a, a hard diagnosis for a family member and we were talking and someone walked by so they'd be praying for us. And, and he was like, I've I just struggled with this because he's like, I'm, is it gonna make a difference, right? Like if we're just honest sometimes. And so we see all through scripture, Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. We see prayer in the Old Testament. We see prayer all over the New Testament. Uh, even in our own experience growing up, You may do one of those prayers around the dinner table where it's real quick, God is good, God is great. Let us thank him for I flipped those. Whatever it is. Uh, we didn't do them in our family, but you have those certain prayers that you pray. And so sometimes prayer can be a casual thing, right? Sometimes it can be this kind of like formal thing, like you see people doing playing football. Like prayer is all over the place when we think about God. And so we wanted to have this series because we think that prayer is so important to walking with and following Jesus, Right? And so what we're doing with this series is we are just honing in on a couple prayers that the Apostle Paul prays for the church. So the Apostle Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament a couple thousand years ago. He writes letters to churches uh, at the time, and he prays in the book of Ephesians. You guys can open that to your laps. We'll throw it up on the screen as well. But he prays for the churches. So we're looking at a prayer in Ephesians 1. Today we're going to look at a prayer in Ephesians 3. And this is uh, what we've seen him praying as he writes these prayers to the church—these are four people that he loves, these are four people that he cares about—he prays that they would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they could know God better. Like, what a rich prayer, right? Like, he prays that they'd have a spirit of wisdom, that they would practically, as we walk through the realities and confusion and pain of life, that we would have a wisdom— and he also prays that we'd have a spirit of revelation, that through, through the world he's created, through his community, through his word, that God would reveal himself, that we might know him better in a more intimate way is what Paul prays for the church. And the next week we looked at in that same prayer how Paul prays that, that the people he's writing to would have a hope, right? That they would, they would have a perspective to see the hope to which they've been called, this great eternal hope, Right? He prays that for the church. They wouldn't be discouraged. They wouldn't be weak, but they would look at the full picture and see the hope to which they've been called to. And then he also prays that they may realize the power that's at work within them. Paul prays and he says that the same power The same power, God's spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit, the same power that's at work within those who believe. You're like, that sounds pretty radical. Yes, and Paul prays that the church would be reminded of that, would realize the spiritual realities that are at work, that are at hand, right? He prays all these things for the church. And so today we are going to flip just a few chapters over from Ephesians 1 to uh, Ephesians 3. Might be on the same page, if it's like my Bible, same page. But you guys can open the Bibles in front of you if you like. There's something about just holding it. You can flip it open your phone. We'll throw it up here on the screen, and we'll read uh, this together. You guys with me? All right. Ready or not, here we go. Ephesians 3, we're going to start at verse, halfway through verse 17. Halfway through verse 17, this is the prayer that Paul prays for the church in Ephesus, that he prays for you and I. He says, And I pray that you, being rooted And established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. In verse 19, he says, And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's that's some rich stuff, right? That's, That's a rich bite of chocolate right there that Paul gives us. And I think this is what he's saying. I think he basically says this in this whole prayer. He prays, he's praying that God's love, that God's love would help us comprehend God's love so that we can experience God's love, right? It's almost this whole thing is drenched in God's love, and that is what he's praying for the church in Ephesus. And I'm curious if the church in Ephesus, the church he was writing to is anything like us, right? I know in my my own heart, when I hear about God's love, it can kind of sound like, like it can sound kind of like a stale thing sometimes to our hearts, right? Like I see it in your eyes, like God's love. You're like, wake me up in 15 minutes, right? It's longer than 15 minutes, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you drank your coffee. But, but, but he prays that they would, to be rooted and established in love, this whole thing is wrapped in God's love, because I think so many times it's so easy for us to easy, either one way, we either feel like we don't deserve God's love, and we're kind of, we're kind of like, it's like light to the darkness, like we're kind of back away from God's love, or for many of us, when I say God's love, it's kind of like, that's nice. You know what I mean? Like, Christmas elves are nice, cookies are nice, God's love is nice. Like, and my fear is that if, if, we, if we think that way, my fear from my own heart is that we can miss the power and beauty of what Paul is praying. So as we jump in today, can I just do this? Can I just pray for us quickly? That, that we might just, not through me, but through the Spirit, might just like ignite what Paul is talking about here in a new way. My fear is that we would leave and that we would just kind of be bored with God's love. And I think that we'd miss the big picture of what Paul is praying for us today. So let's pray quickly. God, we're just thankful that you've given us your word. We're thankful for your love. I pray that as we just dig apart this passage this morning, that we would just be reminded, convicted, and just strengthened by the great picture of your love. That we don't deserve it, that we couldn't earn it, but yet, God, you made your way to us, and that everything about our faith is built upon the foundation of your love and grace towards us. It's because of Christ we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to jump. We're just going to walk through these three verses today, all right? Sound good? So we are going to start in verse verse 17. Verse 17. This is what Paul prays. He prays that they would be rooted and established in love. That they would be rooted and established. I want to camp out on this for a second. You guys probably think that I'm super in the sports because I'm so tall and buff. And you probably think that that's my secret. My secret hobby is just I'm out playing lacrosse all the time. I'm actually not surprised, believe it or not. My secret hobby, which I love, is I'm really into plants. Really, really into plants. Really, really into plants. I have five plants in my office. I have 30 in my house. My wife, she went to like set something on the table and she realized what had happened to her. She realized that I turned our house into like the jungle book. And she looks around, she's like, what have you done to our house? Plants everywhere, right? I know the scientific names of plants. I know the water to sunlight to temperature ratio that the plants need to thrive. And so when I read Paul talking about being rooted, I'm like, I know what you're talking about, Paul. You and me, horticulturalists, right? Anybody else a horticulturalist? a couple ladies that smiled at me. All right. That's all right. We can talk about tips later and what plant blogs you read. I have some favorites. But, but here's the thing. Paul prays that we be rooted and established. What I know about plants, because I've killed a couple, I've, I've kept a couple, is that when they're rooted and when they're established, that they can weather and they can withstand somebody not taking great care of the plants, Right? That when the roots go deep, they can take some less sunlight. They can take a little underwatering, a little overwatering. Overwatering is worse than underwatering, by the way. But they can take some hard conditions because they're rooted and established. I want to camp out here for a second because it's so important what Paul starts this prayer with. Is that we're rooted and established in God's love. Because I think what can happen is a couple different things. The first thing is that sometimes I think we can be rooted and established, but not necessarily in God's love, right? Right? Sometimes we can be rooted in our knowledge about God, like we know about science, we know about sports, we know about plants, so we can, we can kind of be rooted and established in knowledge about God, but not actually the love of God, right? Or it can be rooted and established in like a Christian subculture where we go to the Toby Mac concerts and we love Air One and all these things, which is fine, but that's kind of what our roots are in, right? Or sometimes our roots can be in a, a certain tradition that I grew up this way, it needs to be this way, I don't like that loud music, whatever it is, that we grow up a certain way, we're rooted and established in a tradition, right? And the thing I know about plants is our roots go deep and as our roots go wide, all through the scripture, there's this analogy of the seed and these plants bearing fruit. And as the roots go deep, they bear fruit, right? But if we're rooted in the wrong thing, we'll bear the wrong fruit. If we're rooted in a a tradition, if we're rooted in knowledge that's merely about God, if we're rooted in a subculture, we'll bear the fruit of, of judgment sometimes because people aren't doing it the way we should do it. Sometimes we'll bear bear the fruit of fear, right? Because things aren't how I think they should be. They're changing and I don't like it. That will bear the fruit of our opinion of cynicism. Sometimes we'll bear the fruit of indifference because if God is just something I know about and doesn't transform my heart and my life, then I can just kind of become indifferent towards all these things, right? So we can be rooted in the wrong thing, but what I think what else can happen is we can be obsessed and infatuated with God's love and it can be this kind of amorphous conceptual idea, but there's no root there, right? And Paul prays both that we be rooted, but that we be rooted in God's love because when, we're, when we talk about God's love, but we're not rooted in it, it's just a concept. When we st- stumble, when we struggle, when we have doubts, when we go through hard seasons, there's no root there, Right? Jesus talks about this in Matthew 13. Write it down. Read it tonight. He talks about seed going on different soil. And that when a plant shoots up quickly, but but the weathering and the hardships of life come, it falls away, right? Because there's no root. Paul prays that we would be rooted. I'm a young pastor, right? I've been doing this for just a couple years. And I think often about what church is going to be like in 30 years right? Like when I'm Dan's age, no comment, doing what, doing what, um, what he's doing, like I'm like, what is the church going to look like? I think it's going to look very different. I think it's going to be very different, but as I think about that, I read different stuff about how the, my generation, all generations actually, the, the, it doesn't seem to be a root, right? There seems to be this, this, um, this deconstruction towards, like, everything right now, right? We want to tear down everything and question everything. And some of that is good. We should know what we believe, right? But there's this desire to tear down and uproot everything. And it makes me think, I wonder if we were rooted and established in the first thing, in the right thing in the first place, right? Like, I think sometimes we can be rooted in, like, some form of, like, prosperity. And what I mean by that is that we're not rooted in Jesus's love. We're rooted in what Jesus's love can give us, Right? Like this shows up in a lot, like in the 80s, it was like some crazy TV preacher that was like, send in your seed money and you'll be rich too. Nobody trusted that guy with purple hair, right? That's what it was in the 80s. And then in the, in the, uh, the 90s, there was a different form of prosperity, that if you, if you are sexually pure and if you do this and if you don't kiss till you're married and all these certain things, then you're going to have the greatest sex life and the greatest wife and the greatest kids and everything's going to be awesome. We do those things because we want to honor God, Right? I want to honor him, but we were promised that all these certain things would happen, and then our generation grew up, and people had the same marital problems because we live in a broken world, right? And now what I see all the time, you see these pastors on TV that got really pumped up kicks that cost way too much, saying, if you follow Jesus, you're going to have the most amazing passion and purpose, and everything's going to be clicking and feel great. And then you talk to young people that are like, I don't know where to work. I'm trying to find the one and I can't find them. And it feels like I'm rooted in the wrong thing. And so they uproot the whole thing and they're like, forget this God thing. Because they were promised some, some outcome and not promised Jesus, right? Sometimes we root ourselves in a subculture or in a certain theological camp or we put our roots with a certain specific leader, And it feels like every 15 minutes some big church leader is having some big scandal, right? And so people are like, ah, never mind, taking up my roots and leaving. Or they hear a different take on a certain theological idea and it shakes them to their soul. And they're like, that's not what I grew up with, I'm leaving. We can put our roots in so many things other than the goodness of Jesus. And what Paul is praying, what he's praying is, I pray that you would be rooted and established in the love of Jesus, because from your, your roots going deep into the gospel knowing the cost to which God loves you and the sacrifice which God loves you and what he's called you to, then that's going to bear fruit in our lives. Amen? You can say amen. It's fine. It's cool. I like it. Yes. Paul is praying that our roots would go deep because this is what I know is true. If our roots are deep in Jesus, just like the plants in my house, if our roots are deep, then when I am secure and firm and established in the love of Jesus, then I can ask questions. I can struggle. I can doubt. I can can walk through the, the weathering and the hardships of life knowing that my roots are planted in Jesus. And though I may have a question about this, I may not quite understand this, and I'm walking through this, I know that I'm rooted and established in the way in which God has immensely loved me and made His way to me. Paul prays this in Ephesians 4, 14. We'll throw it up on the screen. He says, when we're built up in unity together, he says, then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful schemings. Paul does it. We're all going to struggle. We're all going to have questions, but Paul doesn't want us to be walking with Jesus for 30 years and have the same questions of like, I don't know if God loves me. I don't know if you wants right here that we have in 30 years. He wants us to be rooted and established so that we'd be able to bear fruit, right? So we'd be able to continue to walk and not be tossed back and forth by every news cycle, by every hot YouTube video that came out. And is God real? Like he wants us to be rooted and established so that we can bear fruit. You know what I know about plants? a lot by how much I bragged about what I knew earlier. It's not really that much. But what I know is this, is that if I'm in my yard and need to pull out a plant, it's easy to pull up one plant, right? Pull its roots right out. It's a lot harder to pull up a whole area of plants, right? So when I have to pull up a whole garden of plants because their roots are together and they're entwined and they're together, I think that's the picture that Paul is giving us. He's saying that in unity, together, Paul is writing to a church. He's to say, I pray that you guys are rooted and established, Like, yes, he wants each one of us, but he's talking about you as a church be rooted and established in God's love. We'll keep going. Look at verse 18. You guys still with me? I don't like when people sleep. Don't sleep on me. Verse 18. Verse 18. He prays that we be rooted and established in love and that we may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God. Of Christ, you may have heard this passage before, but he he paints this picture. He's like, "I want you to grasp all the dimensions of God's love, all the ways that this plays out." A couple years ago, actually, a handful of years ago, a good friend and I went on a road trip. I probably reference this all the time. It's like the only cool thing I've ever done. Grew up in Doylestown, went on a road trip once. So that's all I got. We went on this road trip, and everybody from Doylestown is like, "Oh, that explains it. That explains." It. We went on this road trip years ago, and we were going to Colorado, and we were excited. We grew up in Doylestown, like. They haven't seen a lot outside of a couple oak trees, and we were so excited to go out and see the west, right? Like, if you've been out west, you're like, this is awesome. And so we were going to stay with the family in Colorado, and we were, we got there, and Colorado that weekend looked a lot like Ohio. Like, everything was foggy, everything was cloudy, and they're like, this is really weird. There's really a bunch of mountains there. You just can't see them. So what we could see all weekend was the foothills, and compared to Ohio, these foothills looked awesome. You're like, those, that's a nice foothill. That's a nice foothill right there. And we were, were like, this is so cool. And we spent the whole weekend, and by the time we got to the end of the weekend, I liked the foothills, and I didn't really care about the mountains, right? Because I couldn't see them. And then we woke up this Sunday morning, and we, we, got in the, we got in his Golf, his Volkswagen Golf, which was far too small for as much time as we were in it. And we took, I think it's I 70, and we started to go through the mountains. And as we drove, the skies opened up, and we're like, oh, that's a nice mountain. Okay, that's what they were talking about. Snapped a picture here. And, and we, we started to drive through, we're like, oh, this is immense. Like, this is—I was, I was obsessed with foothills, but now I'm seeing the actual mountains, and we drove through them for hours, and as far as we could see, we're driving to the top, and there's snow. We're like, this is huge. This is awesome. I grew up in Doylestown, saw nothing like this, and now I'm in the middle of the Rockies. This is amazing. Paul is praying that we'd be able to grasp all the dimensions of God's love the same way that we experience the grandeur of the Rockies, Right? And what I know is this, is Paul starts this by saying together with all the Lord's holy people. It would have been a a whole different experience if I was driving by myself, right? I would have been like, that's that's cool, me. Like it it would have been a different experience. But because we were driving together, I'm like, dude, check this out, bro, take a picture of this. Man, look at this. We should stop here. And we're having this experience together, right? Right? together with all the Lord's holy people, Paul prays. He prays that we would grasp this. I don't think we can grasp the dimensions of God's love by ourselves, right? I don't think we can do that by ourselves. We say this all the time. We live in a Western culture that is all about the self, all about like individualism. Like that's the most important thing is me being me. Like that's the most important thing. It's the opposite of what the Christian life is and what following Jesus is. He calls us to do this together. We're not going to grasp the dimensions of his love by ourselves. He calls us together with all the Lord's holy people. And he says that we, he wants us to grasp them. He doesn't mean just like, got it, thanks. This word grasp, we'll throw it up on the screen here, is this word Catalambano. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. You don't know either. So, but that's the word, Catalambano. But it's this, the, what the Greek word was, was, was to apprehend, to lay a hold of. It's almost this picture of like, like wrestling something. He's like, I pray that you guys would like just get a hold of and wrap yourselves around and struggle with the immense love of Jesus. That's his prayer to them. Because I don't think that the love of Jesus is something that we just know about, Right? Like, we have to know it. We're going to get there. But it's not just like, yep, I know about it. Like, I don't think that's what Paul's praying for the church. I think he has a greater prayer. And so what I want to do just really, really fast is just paint some color on the dimensions of God's love that he gives us here. This width, this depth, this height, this length. So that as we kind of fill in the colors of the canvas of his love, that we'd be able to step back and it would cause us to pray different. When we have the right perspective, the right picture of who God is, we're going to pray different. If we think God is small, we're going to pray different. We're going to pray like God, please tie my shoelaces. I keep tripping. Like we're going to pray small, right? Paul had a big picture of God. He prayed different. Some of us we, we don't we pray different because because we don't we're not sure if God loves us. We're like, "Hi God, Tammy here, hope you're doing well. Don't be mad. I know last week was rough. Like, so we're going to pray different, but when we have a picture of how God loves us and the way in which he loves us, we're going to pray different. So I want to jump into this quick. The first thing that Paul says is that the dimensions of his love are, he says, it's wide. So we drove through the Rockies, like for for miles and miles and hours. Like the, the Rockies were wide, right? John 3, 16 said, For God so loved the world. God so loved the world. You probably heard that verse, whether you grew up in church or not. But I think about all of that encapsulates that. God loves you. Some of you are like, know. Some of you are like, "I, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if I believe that. God loves you. He sent himself in your place that you might have a right relationship with him. He loves you. He loves me. He loves us but I think what can be hard for us sometimes, whether we think about it or not, is that he loves them, right? Who's them? It's those people who don't look like you, don't talk like you, people you don't understand, maybe somebody from a different political party, a different background, different nationality, different religion, a different denomination, different lifestyle, a different affiliation. God's love is wide, right? God's love is wide, He loves the world. It's important for us to know that because we're going to pray different, right? We pray different if we think that God's love is narrow towards a certain type of people. I think it's important for us to know as the church in America, this is just for free, you can Google it, it's interesting, that we are like not like the center of Christianity, right? Like people aren't like, let's go to America where Christianity is the best. Like that's not the case. Like Christianity is booming in Asia, in the Middle East, in South America. Like that's where the church is growing the fastest, most rapidly. And I think as we think about that, it, it for us as the church in America it should change the way that we pray, right? To change the way that we think about the gospel. Dan says this all the time, but the gospel is the most inclusive but exclusive message that there is. It's the most inclusive message but exclusive message. That the door is open for, for all that believe. The door is open for everybody. There's no like, you got to be this tall to get in. I probably wouldn't get in, right? it's open for everybody, but there, there's one door, right? It's the door of Jesus. It's the door of Jesus' righteousness that he has taken our sin, given us his righteousness, that we might have a relationship with God, that he gives us his scorecard, right? It's the most inclusive but exclusive message. It's changed the way we pray. His love is wide. His love is long. As we drove through the Rockies, we're like, this is awesome. We kept driving. We're like, this is still cool. <laughs> like, a couple hours later, like, this is awesome still. Like, we, it, was, it was a lot longer than we realized, right? God's love is long. We talked about this uh, earlier this year a little bit, but if you weren't here for that, what Paul says in Ephesians 1, a couple chapters back, is that in love, God predestined us. From eternity past, he decided to love us, right? Right? And the promise we see in scripture that what he started, he's going to finish, and he's going to love us into eternity future. That there's this long picture of the way in which God loves us, right? We love very differently. We kind of like love more like a bus stop. Like we pick you up here, love you until you're annoying, I'm going to drop you off on 4th Street, right? Like we, we're a lot more temporary in our love, and so sometimes it's hard for us to understand the length of how God loves us. There's this word um, in, in the Bible, this Greek word has said. And it's this picture of loving kindness, this long suffering loving kindness. And I think about almost this, this, this love of like a mother that like she like carries this dang baby forever very uncomfortably and then delivers a baby, which is no joke. It's no joke. And then, then like through teething nights and through crying, like loving this child and then they grow and they get into middle school, which that's enough. And then like in the high school and all this stuff, it's this, this, this long love, right? this long-suffering love, this like bearing with us. And that's just a rough analogy of the way in which God's love is long, right? It bears with us. Go read, if if you're like, I'm not sure, go read Luke 15. It's a parable of the prodigal son that Jesus tells to some sinners and some people who thought they were upright and perfect. He tells this story of the prodigal son. A lot of you may know it, go read it. I think it's a picture of how God's love is long. His his love is wide, it's long, and it's deep, and as we understand and plumb the depths of his love, it kind of in proportion helps us understand and respond and worship and see the heights of his love. I think this is a big thing for the world that we live in. I know it's a big thing for my own heart that sometimes we we make God small, and we're like, yeah, he's he's good, and he's kind of got a right way to do things, and you know, he's the big man upstairs. What's up, God? And then we're, we're like, not bad. Like, we're not that sinful. Like, we're not, not too bad, right? I'm not perfect. But, and, we, and what happens is we make God small, make ourselves not that bad, and we miss the cost of what Jesus has done for us. When we look at the scriptures, when we look at the story of God, we see the immense holiness of who God is, Right? Like he created all things, like the holiness of who he is, complete perfection, holy God, creator of the universe that we can't just like walk in like, what's up, God? Like that's not how it works, right? And then we see ourselves who are far more sinful than we realize. Like we think, like, I'm not that bad. But if we're just going by the story of scripture, you don't have to agree. You do not have to agree, but this is the story that scripture gives us is that we're far more sinful than we realize. And you're like, that's not great news, but what it gives us is the picture of the separation, the picture of our need, and we see the depth of the cost that God paid to make his way to us. That the holiness of God descended into our world, we're going to celebrate this next week at Christmas, y'all, and became one of us, died in our place, and we start to see the cost and the weight of this whole thing. We sing this old hymn that says, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. My sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. When we see the depths of God's holiness, the depths of my sin, we see the cost to which he made his way to us, to where Jesus stood in our place and on the cross said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That we see the depth of what he's called us to. And Paul is praying. Paul is praying that we would grasp, that we would wrestle with all these dimensions that we would walk through the reality of his love together with our jaws on the ground at the immensity of what we're seeing, just like me and my friend driving through the Rockies, seeing the all-encompassing nature of the Rockies, that we might see God's love in that way. I love this quote by A.W. Tozer. He's an old old pastor. He said this, "'We can know that because God is self-existent, his love has no beginning.'" Because he is eternal, his love can have no end. Because he is infinite, it has no limit. Because he is holy, it is the quintessence of all spotless purity. Because he is immense, his love is an incomprehensibly vast, bottomless, shoreless sea, which we kneel in joyful silence, and from which all the loftiest eloquence retreats. That in the greatness and beauty of who God is, all we can do is kneel and just respond to it, to which even our best attempts— would fall short, right? When we see the greatness of God's love, Paul is praying that God's love would help us to comprehend and grasp God's love so that we would ultimately experience God's love. That we'd ultimately experience God's love. That this reality would go from our heads to our hearts and then flow out through the being of who we are. Look at what Paul says in verse 19. You guys with me in 19? Yeah, we're getting close, y'all. You're getting closer to lunch. It's fine. He says, to grasp these dimensions, in verse 19, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Like, that sounds great. You're like, I'll take two. Filled to the full measure of God. Sign me up. Where do I sign? Like, that sounds amazing. Paul wants us to be rooted to grasp... And that he basically says that we would comprehend the uncomprehendable, right? Word I made up, I think. Tim Keller has this statement that he says, it's one thing to know the love of Christ and say, I know that thing, right? We said that. It's one thing to be like, I know about that thing, but it's a whole different thing to grasp and experience the dimensions. Before my friend and I went on this trip, like we Googled it for like a year straight. Like we like Googled every image of the Colorado Rockies you could. Like we talked to people who were like, it's awesome. Here, you got to go here. You got to see this. Like we had the map on how many miles and how we're going to get through. All this stuff we knew, right? Like we knew probably more about the Rockies than, I don't know, a park ranger or something. Like we knew all about the Rockies. But when we started to drive through the Rockies that Sunday morning when the skies opened and we saw like the air was cold, we were listening to some cinematic music and we were like taking in the blue skies, looking at the bison at the bottom of the mountains. Like we went from like, yeah, I know, I know about it to this like, I know it, I experience it, I see it, I feel it. Like it went from a different place. That's what Paul is praying for us. This word that Paul uses, this, this know, is the same word that he uses in Ephesians 1 that we looked at the first week. That when, when Paul prays that we would have the spirit of wisdom and of revelation to know God better, it's the same word. Gnosko, to have this knowledge, to perceive, to feel, it was often used as a Jewish idiom for sexual intercourse. You're like, that's weird. Just roll with it. Don't let it be weird. Because what we see is this intimate, expressive picture of knowledge, right? Not just this brain knowledge, but this intimate experience. And that's what Paul is praying, that we would experience it in that way. So often, our relationship with Jesus or salvation or how he has rescued us is just this, like, equation in our brains, right? It's just this math problem, like my sin plus God's holiness equals death plus Jesus X, bring the carry of the Y, and now we have salvation! Thanks, Jesus! And it's just this thing we know about. Paul is praying that we would experience it. I love uh, Tim Keller in a book uh, about prayer. I was reading, prepping prep for this, he, uh, he talks about this passage, and I love this analogy he uses. This is not mine, but if you forget his name, you can just write Aidan Finn. It's fine. But this is the analogy that he used that I love. He talks about this idea that our theology, our study of God, what we understand in, in, our, in our minds about, about God, like, um, like the under the hood, right, mechanics of God's love. He's like, that's like the map, right? Like, our theology is the map, and it is so important. Don't let this talk of experience negate the need for the clear map, right? Because you talk to people that have the wrong map, and they're like, I'm not sure if God likes me. I'm not sure if I can pray. I don't know. I, I'm scared. That, and it's like, we have the wrong map, right? Like, if me and my friend would have had the wrong map and would have ended up in, like, Indiana, we would be majorly let down, right? If we were just sitting in Indiana. We had to have the right map to get to the Rockies, to get to the location, right? In the map, our theology, we say and know it, live it, give it, like knowing it is so important. Because if we have the wrong map, we're not going to get to the destination. We're not going to get to experience God's love because we spent all of our time questioning if God really loves me, right? And if that's where we spend all our time, we're never going to get out of being obsessed with ourselves and be able to love people because we spend all of our time obsessing about God's relationship to me. Where the gospel frees us to stop thinking about ourselves and focus on others because we have the right map, right? But what Tim Keller says is this map is not going to get us— it's not going to be the experience of itself, right? Like you can't like rub a map on your face and experience the Rockies. You got to go there. You got to experience it. You got to smell it. You got to feel it. You got to see the bison, right? But you have to have the right map. It's the way that these two go together. But Paul calls us beyond the map and into the actual location. That's the love of Christ. 1 Corinthians 13.2. We'll throw this up on the screen. Paul says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have a faith that can move mountains but I don't have love, I am nothing. Like I would sign up for the gift of prophecy, moving mountains and knowing all the mysteries. Like I'll take it, sure. But he says, if we don't have love, if we don't experience God's love and, and export God's love, we're nothing, we're missing the point, right? And Paul ends his whole prayer in verse 19, He says, I want you to know this love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. He prays that for this church in Ephesus, that for the church in Norton at 10 o'clock, for believers of Jesus, followers of Christ in this room, Paul prays our prayers that we might be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. What does that mean, right? Right? I think he's praying that as we are rooted and established, as we have the right map and we understand that that it would go to this wrestling and grasping and holding to all the ways and dimensions and greatness of which God loves us, that we wouldn't just know it, but that we would experience it and that in all these things, we would be filled with the measure of God, that we would be filled with His love because 1 John tells us that God is love. That love isn't just the thing God does, but it's the essence of who he is. And he's praying that we'd be filled with the full measure. There's a guy named Kent Hughes who has this picture of standing at the edge of the Pacific, right? In the greatness and vastness of the Pacific that you can't see the end, you can't see the north or south beach and you're standing on the Pacific. And, and all the, the full measure of who God would be, right? And if we took out a jar and we just scooped a jar into that, this, this jar is filled with the full measure of the ocean, Right? The entire ocean isn't in that jar. All, of God's, all of God's fullness was in Christ. Colossians 1. But it's not in this jar, but we are f- filled with the measure of the love of God. And so this is, this is my, my fear today is that we would be like, yeah, God's love, that's cool. My other fear as, as a preacher here would be that we're like, you guys need to go experience God's love. Go experience it. Have a great week. Go get them. And be like, what does that look like? What does that look like in the nitty gritty, in the day to day, in the dirt? And I, I, I don't think it's the most profound thing in the world, but I think it's the most important, it's the most beautiful, simple picture Jesus gives us. In the gospel, the, God doesn't give us this, this golden manual with some to do tips, and you should do them, and if you do, life will go better, and you get to go to heaven. That's, that's not the gospel. Like the gospel is that there is this perfect standard and God made his way and took that on himself so that we might reap what he has sown. And God doesn't give us a magical book. He gives us himself, right? And in the midst of this whole thing, this whole cosmic story of the gospel, God gives us himself and he says, now come follow me. I've given you grace. I've given you forgiveness. That power that raised me from the dead is at work within you. I've called you to a hope. I want you to know me better. I've wrapped you in my love. Now come follow me. Jesus invites us to follow him. And as we look at the story of Jesus, we're going to do a whole series on this in in January that we're so excited for. So important that we talk about this. But Jesus calls his disciples, says, come follow me. And they followed him. It's like being an apprentice, like following him, lo- looking at him, listening to him, doing what he did. And we see Jesus do so many things. And he calls us to that way of life. That's how we experience his love. Because we're wrapped in his forgiveness and his grace, this isn't a checklist of things to do, but it's the life he calls us into. And what do we see as we look at the life of Christ when he calls us to follow him? I think it starts with forgiveness, right? We'll start with the hard one. Jesus is like, forgive as you've been forgiven. Come, follow me as I've forgiven you, forgive others. Like, this is hard. He's like, I know, follow me. Maybe sometimes we're like, I don't know what that looks like to follow Jesus. I want to experience God, but I don't know what that looks like. And quite frankly, you know, the kids have to get to school and I got to work and the in-laws are crazy and I'm working extra hours. It's Christmas time. I got to go to the mall. I don't have time to experience God's love. Towards we follow Jesus, Jesus may say, come rest Come find your rest. We see Jesus resting all the time in the Gospels. We should do a sermon series called Naps of Jesus. That would be a great sermon series. But we see him resting and calling us to rest, right? That sometimes we can be like, I'm like my work and my job and my kid and my busyness, all this, my checklist. We're so focused on ourselves. You look at the life of Christ and it's a life focused on the other, right? That's probably burning us out being obsessed with ourselves so much. It's tiring. And Jesus is like, wow, come follow me as we look to the needs and serve others, right? That we see Jesus feasting and fasting and in intense uh, solitude and prayer and studying the scriptures and suffering and ultimately this resurrection. And Jesus calls us to follow him. He doesn't call us to a checklist. These are things you have to do. And if you do these things, you'll experience God. He says, come walk with me. This is the picture of what it looks like. And if it, it, you may be thinking, I think this sometimes I read, you know, the teachings of Jesus and I read the story. And I'm like, you know, it's kind of ridiculous. Loving my enemies. That's a little ridiculous. Well, how is it working harbor and hate in your heart? How's that? It's probably not going great. Like Jesus calls us to rest. Like that's cute, Jesus. Like I would love to rest, but you don't live in America in 2019. It's insane. But how's that going for our souls? You know, he calls us to be, to see the needs and serve the needs of others. And like, that's, that's cool, Jesus, but I got to take care of priority one. And it's like, how's that working for our souls, right? Like, everybody's broken. Everybody's sad. Everybody's, like, go get on the highway for a second. You'll be like, oh, this is like humanity at at its worst, right? Jesus calls us to simply follow him. Isn't calls to, I'm not, please, please, please hear me say. These, these things, this, these ways of Christ, of, of forgiveness and of rest and surrender and centered in service and fasting and prayer and scripture, all these things are not a checklist. Please hear me say these aren't a checklist. But it's the life to which Jesus has called us into and says, come on, follow me. It's hard. He's like, I know, come follow me. But I've fallen and I'm confused. He's like, my grace will pick you up. Keep following me. I think that's what the experience looks like, and I think it looks like this. How do we experience? How do we go from knowledge to experience? I think about in this passage, he says, I, I, I pray that you would have power to, to get all these things, that you would be empowered to comprehend these things. I mean, what does it look like for ourselves, for the people around us, to pray, God, uh, would you help me to go from knowledge to experience? Like, like, what does it look like instead of to wake up and pop on Twitter and be like, look, the world's on fire again. What would it look like to wake up and be like, God, I pray today that for me, for my spouse, for my family, for my group, that you might just help me to go from knowledge to experience, that I might experience your love. Like, what would that look like? I think if we prayed that way, between now and Christmas, if we prayed that way, I think, I think we'd be surprised, Right? Jesus calls us to follow him. Paul tells us to pray for it. And so you may be thinking, what does this all mean for prayer? We did this series called Pray Different. We talked about hope. We talked about power. We talked about love. Like, this is a bait and switch, right? You didn't talk about prayer. But I think as we, as we grasp these things, as we look at the measure to which God has loved us, at the way in which he loves us, at the dimensions of how he loves us, how does that export? think about husbands, wives. Marriage is hard. You put two people, and you're like, live together forever. That's <laughs> not hard. Like, it's not going to go smooth all the time, right? Like, just look at it on paper. But what does it look like to love deep? That we see the weight of forgiveness which Christ has forgiven us. What does it look like to love deeply? to love in a deep way, even when you've been wronged, even when you've been hurt, even when you've been devastated by the realities of what has happened in your marriage, what does it look like to love deeply and to pray for each other in that way? What does it look like as a, as a group, as a grace group, whatever, whatever the biblical community context you have is, what does it look like to pray together with all the Lord's holy people, Paul is writing for the church. He's writing this together, that we would grasp these realities together. What does it look like to pray to and for and with your group, that we as a group would pray, God, I pray that you would help us to be rooted in your love. I pray that you would help us to grasp the dimensions of your love. I pray that you would help us to experience this, God. What does it look like to pray that together? As I was, I was kind of had an unfair advantage here. I was thinking about this passage the last couple weeks I'm prepping and I'm rocking my 10-month-old to sleep, and I thought of this passage. The long suffering of Jesus, the long way in which he loves us. What does it look like to pray with the long view in mind for our kids, our grandkids, whoever? You're like, I'll pray for him when they get to high school, and they go insane. But what, what does it look like to pray for him now? Like, I'm sitting there holding my kid. I'm like, God, I pray that this dude would be rooted and established in love. I pray that he, when he gets older, that he would be able to grasp all the dimensions of how you love him. That he'd be rooted and grasp your love, not the crazy things of this world. And God, I pray that this kid wouldn't just know about you, know church, know the right answers, but that he would experience your love. And then he pooped, and then I had to change him, is what happened. (laughs) But what does it look like to pray on the, the long game for our children? for our future children, for the kids and power kids downstairs that those kids would know and grasp the realities of Jesus' love? What does it look like to pray for them in a long way? What does it look like to pray wide for our neighbors, for the people that we don't notice, for the people that seem to get in our way sometimes? We could just take the way of Jesus and pray for our enemies, pray for those that persecute you. If a name came to your mind, if a face came to your mind, what does it look like to pray for them? That that person, that that person might experience the love of Christ. What does it look like to pray in proportion to God's love? Can we uh, end in prayer this morning? I think that would be appropriate. God, just so thankful for just our church family and what you're doing in Norton. God, I pray for for us in this room, for moms, for dads, for for kids, for grandparents, for people who are struggling to know that you love them and for people who are bored with the phrase God's love. I pray that we together, as, as followers of Jesus in Norton in this room, that we would be rooted and established in your love, that when doubts come, when questions come, when painful realities of this world come, that we would be rooted and established, that we would be able to weather and withstand those things because we are rooted in the way in which you love us. We are rooted in your grace. God, I pray that we as a church would wrestle with, would grasp, would apprehend the realities and the dimensions of your love, the the length of your love, the depth of your love, the width of your love. Jesus, I pray that you would turn these things in our hearts collectively as a church, that we would love people the way that you have loved us, that the dimensions of your love would flow through us and that we would love people in the same way. I pray that we would do that together, God, And God, I don't always know what this looks like, how this plays out day to day for each and every one of us in our walks with with you, Jesus. I don't know what this looks like, but I pray that we would go from knowledge. And Jesus, I pray that we would have that knowledge, that you would make the gospel and under the hood, the mechanics of the gospel clear to us. And I pray that we go from that place into experience so that we might be filled with the full measure of your love of your grace and your kindness, that that might splash over into the lives of those around us. God, we're so thankful. And we, we gather and sing under the banner of a God who made his way to us, of a God who loves us, of a God who died for us. God, I pray that we might know that reality in a new way this week. It's because of Christ and Christ alone that we pray. Amen.